Welcome, everybody. Time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense. Brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable 10-step process. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C. Our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies. John's guest is John Edwards, Executive Vice President at Communique, helping direct digital marketing and sales initiatives for both B2B and B2C clients. The title of the show is Digital Presence, the five ways elite B2B competitors are beating you online. Over to you, John. John Edwards, so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. So in this pandemic, I mean, kind of a crazy time we're all in, as we all know, worse than any other recession because it's a pandemic and also because this unique stay-at-home requirement, and which kind of leads to the lack of face-to-face meetings between buyers and sellers. And because of that, our company's presence, our digital presence, has become uber important now. I mean, it always was important, but now it's really come to the forefront, mainly because of the lack of face-to-face. So can you just tell our listeners, John, what does it mean? What is digital presence? It's a great question, and I agree with you 100%. I think it's increasingly important right now with COVID-19, which is basically accelerating all things digital. And digital presence, in its essence, is really built on just a couple of simple premises. The first one is that nobody buys a product or a service that they've never heard of from a company they don't know exists to solve a problem or gain a benefit that they don't know they have or need. And then the second one is that 70% of what I just mentioned there, the what, the who, the why, that's now being done entirely online by B2B buyers. 70% of that journey before a company like the ones that are listening to us today, even know that they're being looked at. So why should they care? Well, they should care because their best competitors have already figured this out. And the things that the best of the best are doing right now, better than everyone else, can really be counted on a single hand. First, they know what Google thinks about them, and they can improve it using a success metric that we're going to talk about called domain authority. Second, they know where and how often they're showing up in search results. Third, they understand what it takes to be seen and to be relevant outside of their own website. And by here, I'm going to be referring to social media platforms. Fourth, they understand what it takes to be relevant once somebody gets to their website and to deliver impact. And finally, number five, they've got the digital tools to advance the buyer journey in order to turn their prospects into marketing qualified leads, those leads into sales qualified leads, and then ultimately into close one revenue. It's nice to be able to have all those tools that can really help show you how to do the whole cycle for sales and buyers. Exactly. You mentioned the first one was domain authority, which I think you said it's all about what does Google think about your company? Can you peel back the onion on that one a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So data shows that 71% of B2B companies begin their early stage buying journey online with generic searches. And 90% of buyers in the late stage are going to use search when making business purchases. So this is where domain authority becomes important because what it really is, is a single 
reputation metric or KPI that's calculated by search engine experts at services like Moz and SEMrush using a variety of factors, including prestige of the website and its authors, quality of the information that's presented, and the overall competitive situation around the subject. And they do that in order to gauge whether your website is likely to show up at all in search results. If yes, on which results page? Remember that Google will serve up to 10 pages of results, each with with 10 results on them, so up to 100. And which result you're going to be on that particular page? Am I at the top of the page, the middle of the page, or the bottom of the page? And by the way, where are my competitors? That score is based on a logarithmic scale from 1 to 100. And because it's logarithmic, I tell a lot of B2B companies that you really don't need to worry about scoring in the 90s because that's where Facebook and Google live. And quite frankly, you're not competing against them, nor do you want to try. You also don't need to worry about being in the 80s. That's where you're going to find big media companies are going to live in that space. And really, not even the 60s or the 70s, where you're going to find large e-commerce companies and software as a service businesses and things like that. For this particular audience, I'm sure the vast majority of B2B companies that we work with and who are competing in a specific market or segment of a market, in order to consistently show up higher in search results for the same search phrases than your competitors, you should target a domain authority score of 45 or greater. If you can get to there, you're going to start performing like a winner. Well, that sounds great. So is domain authority a little bit more than just your reputation? It takes a lot of things into account and because reputation itself is something that you build up. Like how many websites are pointing to you? What's the quality of the websites that are pointing to you? Because those are basically online votes, right? If the New York Times or, or Forbes decides to point to an article of yours, you're going to pick up a lot of the trust and respect that is carried over from their, basically their editorial decision to choose your content out of all the content on the web on this subject in order to send their users there or to reference it. So that's just one example of how a myriad of factors, not just how you technically build your website, it's how much traffic is coming to the site. Where is that traffic coming from? It's kind of like your credit score. Uh, You know, the higher the credit score, the more money you can get, you know, less expensively. I think that's probably a good way to think about it. All right, got it. So that kind of leads to the next logical tactic, and that would be search. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we know that on average, B2B researchers are going to do 12 searches before engaging on a specific brand's website. And for that reason, over 64% of marketers are actively investing in search engine optimization, SEO, as you might have heard about it, mm-hmm. utilizing keyword strategies and associated content. And so for this very reason, elite competitors, they know which terms they're being found for in search. They know where those terms are ranking, and they know which pages and which results pages in particular where they're showing up. And finally, because of that, they know where their competitors are falling on those same terms so that they can undertake steps to show up higher in search results in the long run. So looking at it that way, what does an elite B2B competitor in search look like? We've, and John, you know this, we've looked at hundreds of companies. And one of the things we like to give is a five-star rating on different dimensions. And in search, the five-star performers in terms of kind of median KPI values that we've come up with look like the following. They're getting maybe 20,000 or more visitors per month from organic search traffic. They're ranking for over 7,500 terms or phrases that will fall somewhere in results 1 to 100. And in particular, over 700 of those results are showing up on page one of search. 
And why is that important? Well, it's because if you're like most people, 95% of us, we don't go beyond page one of search results. So it's breadth and depth, but it's real impact in terms of organic results landing on page one of search. The second thing is that in addition, their search traffic is balanced. And by that, what I mean is 62% are coming in from what we call branded search. These are people that are entering some form of your company's name in the search phrase. We consider that to be a late stage search because they're already looking for you. You're a known quantity and they just don't know what your URL is, right? But these high performers also have 38, 40% approximately coming in from what we call non-branded search. These are those problems, search phrases, solution search phrases, benefit-oriented search phrases for which you want to be found early on in the buyer journey. They aren't looking for you, but they're looking for what you do. So what we want to try to strike is a nice balance between the rewards of people already knowing us through all the things that we do offline and online and the people that we want to be found for whom they don't know we exist yet, but we show up because the pain point, the bleeding neck problem that they have is something where we appear in the search results. So if a company is just a two-star or one-star in that area of search, how long and how much resources would it take for them to become a five-star? It's a great question. One of the things people always like to say is, you know, I want to be on page one of the free Google search results, right? And the first thing that I tell them is that nobody gets on page one of Google search results for free. Everybody that got there worked very hard to get on page one, right? They had great content. They had a good domain authority. It was something that Google thought was valuable enough to put it on page one for all the reasons that we've started to talk about and can talk about further. But the rewards of getting there can be very, very high. One of the things that we looked at also was, is there a dollar value that we could apply to these elite websites whereby if a competitor who didn't do any of that hard work wanted to go out and just buy a competitor's traffic you know, using paid search, how much would they have to spend per month? And the number that we came up with, looking at a lot of companies, was you'd have to spend about $20,000 per month in paid search to get the economic value or impact that these people have earned from the organic search. So about a quarter million dollars for these elite companies because of the work that they've done and how that translates into where they end up in search. So is that the figure that the elite companies spent? That's the figure you would have to spend if you were, I don't want to say lazy, but you didn't want to do the work that the elite performers put in to, <laughs> to get there. <laughs> but here's the other benefit. If you get to page one of Google's search results organically, yeah, it takes a while to get there. But once you're there, it takes a long time to get knocked off. So it's really an investment. Paid search is kind of like gasoline, right? I spend X dollars today. And if I shut off my ad spending, my traffic stops immediately. If I get to page one of organic search results, I'm going to live there a long time. So it's very long tail with a long payoff. So one is kind of more of a spend paid and one is more of an investment, which is the organic traffic. Right. Any idea what that investment would be? It depends on the company and it depends on you know what the terms are you want to be known for and how competitive your space is. So for that, I'd say the answer can vary quite a bit, probably not a single number that I can share. All right. So this kind of leads to the third part of our digital presence, and that would be social media. Exactly. And a lot of companies tend to put social media maybe off to the sideline. Social media is important for several reasons. First of all, data that we look at shows that 75% of B2B buyers are using social media to support their purchase decisions. And 65% of B2B companies 
say they've acquired a customer through paid social programs like those on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn in particular is shown to be 270% more effective in generating leads than several other social channels for B2B. So when we talk about social in the B2B world, most of the time we're, we're talking about LinkedIn. So that being the case, what does success look like? for these folks. Well, the median score for these high performers, and you can compare your own numbers against them, their company page has over 5,500 LinkedIn followers. They're also posting multiple times per week, and many of them are really posting multiple times per day. Their posts are of a high interest to their target audience. They're not just yakking about themselves. And finally, they tend to make really good use of photos and especially video. Now, I know that many of our listeners here may not know this, but the second most popular search engine on the planet behind Google is actually YouTube. So, you know, net net, we recommend you want to be active on social media. You want to build your follower base so that there's impact when you post stuff there. You want to do it on LinkedIn and the degree to which you can add more visual impact or video impact, all the better. John, it's time to take a quick commercial break. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866 866- 833-9941. We've been speaking with John Edwards about the five ways elite B2B competitors are beating you online. Now back to the discussion. Well, John, we've covered the first three. Excellent discussion. And so I assume the website would be next. Exactly right. So the fourth area that we look at are websites and That's because this is where people end up after you do all that hard work, right? To get your domain score up, your search results up, to perform well in social. You know, the end game of that is we want somebody to go somewhere, right? They're on those other places. We want them to come to us. And that place is your website. And that's because 80% of BDB buyers will tell you that they visit a website before making a purchase decision. More than half of them, we've found, look at at least eight pieces of content during that purchase process. And 82% view at least five pieces of content prior to purchase. And most of this is happening on your website. But here's the yet, the yet but. Only 20% of the information on most B2B websites display any characteristics around buyer enablement. It's almost all about themselves, which is something that elite competitors have already kind of figured out and have a solution for. So, you know, at the highest level, your elite competitors have websites that are tailored more to the wants and needs of their buyers, then they are just talking about themselves. There is a place for you to talk about yourselves and have the testimonials and have all of the trust indicators. But you know, in the beginning and middle of that buying process, they want to know if they have a problem that you can solve and are you an option for them to seriously consider. The second thing is that their sites are also built around lead generation. There's not just a single contact us form or maybe a request for quote form. There are many, many ways in which interesting, engaging content is presented that is of value to the person visiting the site. And it is of such value that they're willing to give up their first name, their last name, their company name, and their email address in exchange for that content. And in addition to you educating them and moving them along the buyer journey with that piece of content, you now have a lead 
that you can start to market to and sell to. So some specific success metrics for these elites that we've looked at, these sites typically have hundreds of pages of content. I think the median score was something like 600, but you know, just understand that there's a breadth of content that's been built up over a long period of time so that there are many ways in which they can be found by social media sites and there's great content for people to point to and all of the benefits that would accrue from having lots of content. The second thing is that they make effective use of blog posts and photos and videos, and their navigation is very clean. It's mobile friendly. People can scan the pages. I think we can all tell a pretty good looking effective website when we see one, and we can certainly tell one when we can't, when it isn't there. They also do a good job. Typically, their content is so good that other sites are pointing to them. So these elite performers might have 15,000 what we call backlinks. These are links from other websites that are pointing to content on your website because they thought it was valuable enough to highlight. And that's typically, those 15,000 backlinks are coming from 1,400 other websites. So really, really, really sort of high connectivity to other places around the web. And then finally, these websites score well on technical indicators like speed of page load and search engine optimization, and they're mobile friendly and they're secure. These are things that users care about. They're also things that on the back end, Google cares about. So we don't want to forget those. No, absolutely. (laughs) Now we got them on our website and once they're on the website and take some actions, then what's what's the fifth pillar in this whole digital presence? Yeah, this one's more of a bucket and it's an important one though. So the short answer is that they employ best practices, tools, and technologies, say once that lead becomes known to them. For example, recent data shows that the top two technologies that B2B organizations are using to assist in their marketing efforts are one, analytics tools for tracking and attribution and engagement optimization. That's about 86% of these elites. And then email marketing or marketing automation software with an 82% score. And that's largely because 79% of B2B marketers will credit email as the most effective distribution channel for demand generation efforts. So what kind of tools and platforms do we have in place to enable that? At the highest level, when we look at elite performing competitors, we detect A, the presence of scalable inbound and outbound marketing automation platforms. These are platforms like Acton and Pardot and HubSpot. And those platforms are connected to a CRM like Salesforce. And because you have a top of the funnel marketing automation platform that can do everything from sending out your tweets to sending out your emails to when people come to your website and visit your website, you can track what pages they looked at, how many times they came, did they watch a video, how long. We know that it's Susie Miller at XYZ Corporation. We can lead score all of those things based on her title and the size of her company. We can stream out or nurture out communications. And basically, it's a platform for top and middle of the funnel for turning that prospect into a marketing qualified lead. Why do we connect it to the CRM? Well, the CRM is the bottom of the sales funnel. So that NQL goes over the wall to a sales team. The sales team not only knows that Susie Miller might be interested in us, they know exactly what she's interested in. So they can really tailor the sales process from there. And then if they're being diligent about applying a sales methodology and putting all the data in there, at the end of the day, we know that we closed a deal with her company. We know the dollar amount that we closed it. And by the way, we know how much money we invested in social media, which began the journey at the very beginning or the email marketing campaign that stimulated her to take action. So with those tools connected in place, you now have an end-to-end, fully optimized sales and marketing funnel. 
And then the last thing that I would put in this bucket that we look for are website and social tracking and behavioral code. Almost everybody has Google Analytics, but if you stop just there, you're falling well short. In addition to the tracking capabilities that a marketing automation platform can bring in, we love to see things like LinkedIn insights and ads or Facebook audiences or heat mapping tools like Hotjar that show us what people are looking at on pages and all of that. So the more sophisticated sites have a connected marketing and sales platforms, a couple of them together. And they also have other tools that can optimize the cross-channel user experience from a website over to a, a social media platform and back again. Well, wow, so you're really closing the whole loop here. You are. And so when you look at a company that has five stars at all five of these areas, I'm assuming they're crushing the competition. <laughs> <laughs> they are indeed. They are much larger. And again, the flip side of that though, is that imitation is the sincerest form of internet, is what I was thinking of. <laughs> and, what, and what that basically means is it doesn't take a lot of work to re-engineer what your best competitors are doing. If you just can understand, if you know what they're doing, you know what their scores are, you know what their metrics are, you know what their keywords are, you know what their tools are that they're using, well, you know, why reinvent the wheel? If they're hitting it out of the park with this combination of business practices and tools, you certainly can as well. And you can do so very, very quickly. So it really gives you a shortcut. Absolutely. That is exactly right. It is an incredible shortcut. So one last question really is, what we've been talking about is, is the term, you've got digital presence, right? Mm-hmm. This is these five areas. There's also a term called digital strategy, which I think applies to the whole company. Mm-hmm. And then digital selling. So how, mm-hmm. how would you put those three things, how would you put them together? Well, uh, you know, digital strategy is going to inform digital presence and digital selling. So the way I like to think about it is the line between marketing and sales, especially in this new post-COVID digital world, has become permanently blurred. Yeah, for sure. Digital presence is built to move. So digital presence is really built to move people from that top of the funnel awareness and that middle of the funnel engagement that I talked about into the hands of bottom of the funnel, selling, digital selling, right? Because if someone is now trying to make a sale, and John, you know this, in a, in a post-COVID world, that means things like we're doing video conferencing instead of face-to-face meetings. We're prospecting online with LinkedIn Sales Navigator. We're not walking the trade show floors. When you understand that even after the opportunities open in CRM, you should also know that your late stage buyers are still zigzagging between the salesperson and your online resources. So it all works together as one. And what that means is at the bottom line is that you really need to make sure that your marketing and your sales processes and tactics and tools are all aligned. That's the digital strategy. So it needs to align around your buyer's needs and the financial outcomes that you have set for yourself internally. And I'll be honest with you, just that process alignment alone would be deserving of its own podcast. John, excuse me. Unfortunately, it's time for the wrap-up. First of all, I will say that there are ways in which companies that are not performing at elite levels can go ahead and accelerate their performance. And I told you part of it is just understanding what your competitors are doing, but there are strategies and tools and tactics that can be taken to kind of really address each of those five buckets. And, you know, happy to have a follow-on conversations with with any listener that's out there. My company is Communique. Communique Communique.world is our URL. Uh, My email address is jedwards, J-E-D-W-A-R-D-S 
at communique.world, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A. Uh, and I would encourage anybody that is interested in learning more to either reach out to myself or, or anyone on the Asher team. Our two companies work very, very closely together. And to John's last point about digital selling and digital marketing and digital strategy, we've drawn a circle around all of that. And it is something that can be connected together in a very finite way and a very quick way to start yielding results. So, John and Dave, thank you for inviting me here today. And I've really enjoyed being a part of this conversation. I think it was great. I learned a lot too. And I think one of the ways I could sum it up for myself would be your digital presence really enables digital selling. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. That's how they connect together for me. And then the two of those together is your overall digital strategy. Exactly. All right. Excellent, John. Thanks so much. All right. You are welcome. Thanks, guys. And thank you, everybody. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to join us again next week at the same time. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. To learn more about how John Asher and his training and coaching team of former business leaders can help you close deals faster, simply visit asherstrategies.com.